Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And uh, a few weeks ago, I, I, I spoke a message about walking through transition. And, uh, you know, and I, I, we had a baptism Sunday and the Lord laid something else on, on my heart. But today I kind of want to put the bookend on a message about uh, transition and uh, called Stewarding a Move of God. And we're going we're gonna to look at this together. And I, I would encourage you to go and read all of, uh, well, just read the whole gospel of Matthew. But Matthew chapter 14 is an incredible uh, chapter. And uh, we're, we're just going to look at a few verses today because God is moving. And, and there really is a lot to be said about revival, awakening, uh, a move of God. There's a lot to be said about what God has been doing right here uh, locally. Um, and I do understand that there is a thin line uh, between long sermons and a hostage situation, okay? So I understand, uh, and I understand the difference. And so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna speak a long time. I, I, I actually want to speak something that will spur you on to love and good works. I don't actually want to hold you hostage. I want this to be the launching pad of your ministry. I want, I want today to be something that launches you into deep, fresh places with Christ and, a, and a, a renewed sense that you are here on a mission. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to begin today in uh, verse 34. And uh, it says this. When they had crossed over, everybody say crossed over. over. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, that's Jesus, they sent out into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. This is an incredible portion of scripture. This, uh, uh, this is, these are not portions of scripture that, which are just meant to be zoomed over, uh, you know, when you're, when you're coursing the ocean of depth and insight that are in the scriptures, sometimes you, you run across these, these amazing, beautiful trenches that will carry you deep into God's person and purpose for your life. And I think this is one of those that we need to slow down and just investigate, um, this is a, a, an amazing passage, and we're going to talk about uh, everything that goes into this. But uh, the setting for this is the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea is not, of Galilee is not a sea. It is actually a very large lake. And everything that in the beginning of Jesus' ministry surrounded uh, this Sea of Galilee. This whole region is called the cradle of Christianity. This is where Jesus is initiating ministry. This is where God is doing something new. This is where God is doing something new. Look at your neighbor and say, God's doing something new now. 
So when God did something new in the scriptures, it's time to take notice because many times what we see in the scriptures is given for us as an example today so that we can learn these principles and then walk in them today. So uh, here is a move of God. What is, how, what is this move of God described as? Crossing over. Remember the story that led into this. Jesus made his disciples get in the boat. He made them. He says, get in the boat. He says, no, I'm not getting in the boat. You're getting on the boat, and you're going to go over to the other side. Well, now, when you continue to read, you figure out where the other side is. But he makes them get in the boat. They're suffering under contrary winds. The winds are blowing against them and keeping them. Uh, you know, they feel like it's keeping them from purpose. And then all of a sudden, very, very, very early in the fourth watch, Jesus comes walking on the water and would have passed them by. And then they thought it was a ghost, but it wasn't a ghost. It was Jesus. And we spoke to all of that several weeks ago, which is absolutely, uh, there's a revelation in there is that many, many times as we're pursuing God's purposes, we, we look out on, uh, on the water when God is moving toward us and all we can see is a ghost of our past. We think something from our past is coming to haunt us. And I'm here to tell you, nothing from your past is coming to haunt you. Because Jesus paid the price for everything in your past when you are a believer. He paid the price. And so, nope, it's me. He comes and he silences the storm and he gives them fresh revelation of who he is. Now, when they arrive at shore, this is what happens. This is what happens. This is the initiation of a new move of God in a new region. And if we're going to steward a move of God in this region, we need to learn some things. You, first thing we need to learn is we need to know God loves to show up. God loves to show up. He loves to show up unannounced, not on your schedule. Matter of fact, remember, when was he walking to this boat? It's in the fourth watch from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Do not come and knock on my door in those hours. I, there was one time someone was standing in my yard when I was getting ready to take my son hunting. It was 4.30 in the morning, and I was carrying a weapon. And I said, you're lucky you're not dead right now. What are you doing here? But here's, here's this moment. Jesus shows up early, and he's showing up unannounced. And, and I, I felt like today that God wanted to confront this idea within each one of us that God doesn't actually want to show up. That God doesn't actually want to move. That God doesn't want to do something new in our lives because of our, of, of our history, because of our own idolatry, because of our own, uh, you know, uh, rebellion. You know, I heard about a husband who was, who was rebelling uh, against his wife, and she's like, no, honey, we're going to church. He's like, I'm not going to church. I'm not going to church. I'm not going to church. He says, she says, fine. And, uh, you know, uh, when, 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 she got, when she got to church, she, she threw her handbag down, and, and the television remote uh, rolled out on the floor. 
person beside her said, what? What? Do you always carry your TV remote? <laughs> she said, no, I was just going to help my husband to stop worshiping his idol. She takes, she takes it. And here's what we do sometimes. We actually make idols of God. We make him into a person that doesn't actually exist. We don't think, we think, oh, well, I don't know if God will show up in my life. He, he wants to show up. He desires to be with us. He desires, listen, to touch this region. Not only does he want to do something in you as an individual, he wants to do something in us collectively that would bring him glory. It says in verse 34, when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. This was the very first visit to the region. And God loves to touch regions for his glory. We find it in John chapter 4. Remember, he goes to the well. And he finds a woman there. And they have their whole interaction. And he says, give me something to drink. And she said, why do you have anything to do with me? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. And he said, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked me for a drink and I would have given you water and you would have never thirsted again. And she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. She has this revelation about Jesus. And he said, call your husband. She says, I have no husband. That's right, because uh, you, this, this guy you're with is not your husband. You've been married all these other times before. He tells her her life and still shows her grace, changes her life. But that's not the end of the story. She goes back to her region called Samaria, tells everybody there. They invite Jesus to come. Not only do they invite him to come, but they implore him to stay days and days and Joy hit that region because one woman got a breakthrough. God loves to do something in a region. He loves to do something personally in you, but he also wants to do something collectively through us. Now, Gennesaret was about to experience a move of God that would influence the entire region. And what you need to know about this region is later on, it would actually produce an evangelist out of its brokenness. This region produces an evangelist out of its brokenness. After they have this, this knowledge that Jesus, God in the flesh, wants to come and move in the region. You say, who is the evangelist that is produced out of this region? Well, you don't call him an evangelist. If you read your Bible, you call him the demoniac. Why? Because when Jesus said, how many are you? He says, we're a legion of demons inside of this guy. Listen, this region is not famous for a move of God. This region is famous for a move of the devil that, that cannot be restrained. This guy's naked, screaming in the cemetery, cutting himself with knives. He's killing the property values. Nobody wants to move there. They put chains on him. He's breaking the chains. This is what this region is known for. And yet the very first time God comes, he comes to do something new 
Why? Because he wants to change what the region is known for. They don't know it yet. But there's coming a moment when Jesus stands on the shore and the one that they've been troubled with, the one that they would thought would never get saved, would never get delivered, could never be helped, was too addicted, too much into self-harm, too bound by demons, too much of everything, would come running to the feet of Jesus, receive immediate deliverance, would receive such a deliverance that he would beg Jesus, I'm going with you. I'm getting in the boat. This is what he said. I'm delivered. I'm clothed. I'm in my right mind. All All of these people, they're afraid of me now. They weren't afraid of me when I was naked, howling at the moon and bleeding and unrestrained by any change. They're not afraid of me then, but now I'm in my right mind and they're terrified of me. Jesus, I'm coming with you. Jesus says, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're going to change this region. And he gives him an assignment of going to tell of all that God had done in Decapolis. Decapolis means 10 cities. So this region that Jesus is going to visit, he is wanting to change what they're known for. And when he begins to move in power, it sets the stage for a mighty launching of an evangelist that would change the whole region. And Jesus had been preparing for this meeting on this shoreline in advance. Hope and faith were rising. He has just fed 5,000 men plus women and children right on the shore across the lake. He has just calmed the sea. And now the, the, his own disciples have a revelation of who he is. And in this moment where hope is rising in the people, faith is, ri- faith is rising in the disciples, he shows up at Gennesaret. Listen, I love this. The men who were fed at the feeding of the 5,000 would lead that when Jesus sends them away. He says, go away, go, go away. He goes up on a mountain to pray. He catches up with his disciples. He sent them away because he knew they were going to go around the lake. And as they worked their way around the lake, guess where they were when he landed in Gennesaret? They had just made their way out of one miracle, and now they're on the shore of another one. How far in advance had God been preparing this move for this region? Way in advance. But let's make it personal. How far in advance has God been planning a move of his spirit in this region? You need Bible for this. And I've got some, so you should write this down. Acts chapter 17. Tell you how far in advance... God's been planning a move of God for this place. This is one of my favorite passages. Acts 17, 26, and it says, And he, God, has made from one blood every nation. What what does that mean, one blood? He says, this has been planned since the Garden of Eden. 
He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. How long has he been planning a move of God in this region? Since the garden. Right here, Citrus County. He's been planning a move of God since the garden. And this is what it says. He pre-appointed our times and the boundaries of our dwelling that we might reach, that word grope means reach, stretch, strain, reach with all of our capacity for God. And this is what it says. And find him. We have been predestined in God's heart to find him. God loves to be found. He loves to show up. He loves to move in power. And God wants us to get it in our heart that we are called as a church, and I believe as a county and a region, to steward something fresh and meaningful in our day. He pre-appointed our times and the boundaries. It's the when we would live and the where we should live so that we could find the Lord. Even though he's not far from each one of us. Ephesians 2.10 puts it beautifully. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The good works that God has prepared for us, this move of God, he's had it planned all along. For decades and decades, people have been praying over this place. This, this, this region is saturated with the intercession of saints who actually some entered into heaven not seeing it in its fullness. But what I believe is that God is passing along the mantle to you and I to carry revival into every sphere of influence. Listen, I was standing on another campus this week looking into the eyes of another generation in the middle school of my Favorite. I mean, I love middle schoolers. I love them. And when I'm in there preaching, it's not, you know, some of you are like, oh, that's terrible. They wiggle. They pick their boogers. They do all kinds of, they make gross noise. I'm like, perfect. Because God uses the, the small things of the world. Those things which are lightly esteemed to change the planet. And when I stared into those eyes, and, and this week I got to share about the pearl of great price. That Jesus, that, that not only is Jesus our pearl, but we're his. And let me tell you, I could feel the hearts of a generation stirring, saying, I want to know God. I want to know God. I want to walk with him. And here's what we need to begin to discern. Instead of surrendering our campuses to people who don't know God, here's what we need to do. We need to believe God's going to move in my day. God's going to move in my region, in my day. God's showing up and he's doing something new. It's showing up and doing something new right now. So give him, say, God, if you'd, if you'd allow me to carry you into government in a new way, I'll carry you into government in a new way. If you'll allow me to carry you into arts and entertainment in a new way, God, I'll carry you into arts and entertainment in a brand new way. If you would dare to see a fresh move of God come into the church where we move out of religion into fresh relationships, 
relationship and new partnership with God in love and in power, then God, do it in my day. Whatever it takes, let the denominational walls fall. Let names come off of churches in in the sense that we lose our name to his name and we stand unified because Jesus has come to the region. He's showing up to do something new. And when he shows up to do something new, it's always significant. It's always significant. So the second thing in stewarding a move of God is that we have to recognize Jesus when he comes. Beginning of verse 35, it says, and when the men of that place recognized him. The people of Gennesaret recognized him they recognized he's never been there but they recognized him I said goodbye to a to a friend who used to serve with us in youth ministry here in this church 82 years old he went home to be with the Lord this week and the day before he would enter into those the, the his reward that was prepared for him um, the Lord had me to go over and pray and make declarations over him and over his wife and over his house. And I was just praying and believing God, you know, for him to do something significant. And he did, which maybe I'll share that, that part of the story uh, some other time. But here, here I was in that moment just recognizing who Jesus is. Jesus in the midst of death is a savior. Jesus in the midst of loss is a restorer. Jesus in the midst of pain is a comforter. And I recognized that Jesus wanted to do something powerful. They recognized him for who he was even though they had never really met him in that region. As I prayed that day in that room and knew that he would come, I was across from a nurse I had never met who was hospice care. And I just began to pray and declare, and I didn't really care what she believed. I wasn't there for her. And I mean, I'm just letting her rip tater chip. I'm just letting go. <laughs> and uh, I noticed about halfway through, she begins to weep. And she begins to, she begins to cry. Because the presence of God came in there. It was amazing. And I know why. Now, it's because just a few hours later, the last waking moment, four in the morning, when he was laying next to his wife, he wakes up, very lucid, after being out for days, reaches over to his wife, puts his hand on her at four in the morning, wakes her up, looks at her, and he says, I love you, babe, and goes right back to sleep, and then a few hours later went home. I know what the miracle was about. But this woman who after this moment of experiencing God's presence in this moment of loss, she says, I feel as if I know you. Where have I seen you before? 
I said, what's your name? She says, my name is Sue. I said, Sue, it's nice to meet you. I have never met you before. She goes, I'm sure I have met you before. I'm like, nope. Here's what I believe. I believe Sue recognized Jesus. What she recognized was Jesus. Wasn't me, wasn't my name. The church didn't ring a bell. And she said, when I told her my name, she was like, oh, that's different. <laughs> I was like, yes, thanks for the reminder. <laughs> uh, she said, I, 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 I feel like I know you. No, no, no. You recognized Jesus. See, she walks people from death or from life to death all of the time. And she knows what it's like when a believer goes into glory because God shows up, angels show up. It's amazing. And then Jesus shows up, his presence shows up. And what she recognizes when Jesus showed up. But I want to ask you something, church. If Jesus showed up in this region, would you recognize him? Would you recognize him? Because when you look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 10 and 11, it says, And when Jesus came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Verse 11 says, So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. All the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Jerusalem, the bullseye of eternity, the savior and creator of the world is there and they say, who is this? Gennesaret, having never received a visit from Jesus, as soon as he arrives on the shore, they recognized him. It was, here's how you know that that is absolutely the truth that in, in Jesus as he's interceding and, and weeping and crying and pronouncing, he looks out at Jerusalem and he says, oh, that if you had only known the hour of your visitation and the things that would have brought you peace. If you had only known, and what was he saying? If you had only known who I am. But see, the people of Gennesaret, they recognized him. They recognized him. There was a time when Jesus was wondering whether or not his own disciples would recognize him. When he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi in Matthew chapter 16, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? The son of man. Who, who do they say that I am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Who am I to you? He's saying, do you recognize me? And then the one that we fault with the foot and mouth disease so much is the apostle Peter speaks up. By the way, I don't think that he uh, had foot and mouth disease. He just had mouth disease, just mouth, just a lot of talking. You find out even right after this that he talked way too much. But here in this moment, he steps, he parts the seas of disciples and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
You are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, man, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And that's when he said, uh, I'm going to call you Cephas. I'm going to call you a small stone. And upon this large rock of revelation, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's amazing. And then right after that, Peter, so proud of himself, tries to rebuke Jesus for going and suffering and dying. And Jesus looks at Jesus and, what you know, just concerned about his delicate personality, says, Satan, get behind me. So it's amazing when you study all of this. His disciples answered this question. I recognize you. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. So I have to ask you today, do you recognize him? Do you recognize when Jesus comes and he's moving? Who do you say now in this place that he is? Well, if you don't recognize him, let me tell you a little bit about who he is. He is Christ, the anointed one, the one that God chose to come to break every chain. He is Savior The one who comes to save the world from the sins. He is the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He's the Son of David. He's King of Jews. He's Rabbi of all rabbis. He's the Word of God made flesh. He's the Master of the universe. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is King of kings and lord of lords the one who was dead but now is alive and rules and reigns forevermore. and and to borrow a phrase from pastor sm S. lockridge i wonder do you know him my king some of you have heard that before i wonder do you know him When he shows up, does he show up as the saving, healing, all-powerful God of the universe? Or is he just that religious character that just wants to modify our behavior so we're a little better human beings? That Jesus isn't coming because he doesn't exist. He doesn't want to just change how you behave. He wants you to die. And allow him to live through you. He says, I want you to die completely to yourself. And then I'm coming in with my spirit. And I'm going to make you alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins anyway. Let me do a resurrection in your life. This is Jesus. He comes to forgive. He comes to fill. He comes to save. To give purpose. To anoint. To create in us something that we could never do for ourselves. That is the the, the peace and the power of God he gives us peace with God and gives us his power to walk with him in daily outreach to this world. Do you recognize Jesus? The third thing is this. If we're going to be stewarding a move of God, not only do we need to just recognize him when he comes, 
We need to respond when Jesus is near. We need to respond when Jesus is near. Verse 35, it says, And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. This is uh, just, this passage ought to mess with you. Because everybody in this passage gets healed. Everyone gets healed. But I, I, I want you to see what the response of those who recognize Jesus was. It's three things, three things. First, they sent out word. They sent out into all the surrounding region. Here it is again. Them knowing that Jesus wants to influence a region, not just individuals. If it was just for them, then simply they could have said, oh, aren't we special? He has just come to visit our little village, our little uh, Sea of Galilee town. Isn't that amazing? And yet there was something in the hearts of those who believed he was who he said he was. It was something in their hearts that they needed to send out the world, the word. All the surrounding region knew Jesus was there because the people of God became a voice. The people of God. It is not enough for a pastor to be a voice or a prophet to be a voice. The church in this hour needs to be a voice. When Jesus comes near, what should we do? We should send out into the surrounding region and begin to tell everybody God's on the move. Jesus is saving. Jesus is healing. When you hear a testimony, man, you ought to share it with everybody. You say, I haven't heard one lately. Well, then why don't you make one? Why don't you make a testimony? Man, the other day I was, I was over at the world's best barbecue over at the cook shed. Right down there in Hernando. I don't know if it's on the menu in heaven, but Tim's brisket, I'm, I'm lobbying Jesus. Jesus, you will love this brisket, please, for eternity. Let me have some at least once a week. And I just say, you know what, I, I just want to get some of this brisket. It's amazing. I love those guys. As well, and and there, you know, I'm there. I'm just, yeah, I kind of came late. It was after lunch, and I was doing some things and running. And uh, I just went by there, and I said, "Man, I'm just talking." And all of a sudden, this guy shows up behind me, and he's he hears he hears us talking because uh, Tim and his wife Julie they come here to to Calvary Church, and so I was just talking about the things that God was doing. And this, I hear this voice from behind me. And it says, oh, so you're a preacher. <laughs> turn around and I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, hey, what's your name? And I introduced myself to him and it got to in, invite him to church and tell him uh, all the good things. And then he says, well, you know, you know I'm, I'm kind of tired, you know, sometimes early on in the morning. And I'm dealing with cancer. A skin cancer, which is right on his face. And, you know, when there's a line, what do you do? Do you just hurry off? Do you just leave that moment? Or do you just say, God, 
You showed up in this place. You put me here getting the world's best brisket <laughs> so this man can get healed. And so I just said, hey, brother, I said, I know we just met, but I feel like I should pray for you that God would heal that cancer. He goes, oh, go for it. I'm like, yes. And I prayed over him right there in front of everybody. And then, you know, I said, in Jesus' name, amen. And then the amens came from inside the little cook shed, you know. <laughs> Tim and Julie are like, ah, Hallelujah. Listen, if you don't have a testimony to tell, just go make one. Go make one. Make yourself available to Jesus. He's moving everywhere. I just wanted to eat. (laughs) Jesus wanted to touch and change a life. Respond when God's near and and become this, this voice Of the move of God. And notice what they did. They brought all the sick. They they, they don't have a theology behind this. What's their last experience? Food. Their last experience is that Jesus takes bread and fish and makes more bread and fish. But somehow, out of that experience, they have a revelation that if he can multiply bread and fish, he can probably heal bodies. So what do they do? They bring all the sick. And this is how I want to say this to you today. Allow Jesus to make your life a gurney for the broken. Allow him to make your life a gurney. Say, come on, I'll carry you. I'll carry you to his feet. I'll carry you where he's moving. I'll carry you where he's saving, where he's healing. I'll take you to the place. Allow your life to become that part of rescuing them from the chains of bondage. Allow God in this moment, in response for your life to become a gurney for the broken, the lost, Those who don't know God. The third thing that they did was actually directed toward Jesus himself. It says they begged him. They begged him. Begged him that the sick might be able to touch him. I believe that this is symbolic of prayer. Not that that we need to beg God in prayer, although I don't think it hurts from time to time. That he's not offended by our begging but that we need to be persistent in prayer as believers for the broken around us. It says they begged him that they might lay him just where he was walking, that they might touch the hem of his garment. Now, hymns today are a little different than hymns were then. This hymn is actually referring to the four tassels that the Jews were commanded to attach to their clothing as a reminder of the commands of God. It's it's like a prayer shawl, a tallit, 
that would wrap themselves, they would wrap themselves in it, and there would be a blue thread through it. All of it as a reminder that it is God who delivered us from the Egyptians. It's God's word that is precious that will keep us and sustain us. That's what these tassels were reminders of. They were reminders of all of God's command and that when we would keep them, that we would be blessed. So here's what they were asking to touch. They said, if I can be touched, if I can touch the word of of God, because that's what those tassels were symbolic of. If I can touch the promises of God, I'll be made well. There is no evidence that Jesus taught anybody, by the way, hey, I want you to go out, get the sick, and line them up in the road. This was their revelation of how amazing Jesus was. That if they could touch him, not, listen, it's amazing when Jesus goes and touches people. But it's more amazing when all of the people touch him and they're changed. If we, as the church, would dare to believe that if we persist in prayer, that if anyone that we brought sick or lost to this place, if they would just simply come into contact with the word of God, they would be made well. If they would come into contact with Jesus. But we need to believe. We need to believe. We need to have faith. We need to be filled with hope. Like these men, they saw him arrive. Can you imagine? And then left. They're like, Jesus is here. Quick. And they all run to the surrounding region. They get the sick in there. They're like, Jesus, hey, just walk this way. I know this guy is paralyzed. I'm going to hold his arm. If you can just touch the him. I will throw it up there. Please walk this way right here. And so what did he do? Jesus said, fine. I'm walking that way. And what did he do? He healed them all. He healed them all. So what do we need to do? As believers in this room, we need to start sending out word that God is on the move. And that Jesus is near. And that, and that what we would do is we would bring the, the lost, the dead spiritually, bring the sick, bring the demonized, bring those who are troubled under the weight of life circumstance, and then persist before God in prayer, believing that if any single person, not just Jesus would touch them, but if they would touch the word of God, the promise of God that is on the person of God in Jesus, their lives will be healed in Jesus' name. Our part is natural. Our part is natural. God's part is supernatural. And if we're going to steward this move of God, this, we're going to have to lay hold of these truths. I just want to leave you with this final statement today. As many as touched him were made perfectly well. As many as touched him 
were made perfectly well. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever.